Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. And I, I just want to get right into it today, if that's okay with you guys. And I wanted to start by sharing a story of my life. Um, it's the story of when I became a man. Uh, and it's not when I hit puberty or anything weird like that. But when I got into seventh grade, it was the time where I kind of figured out that I get to choose things for my own life. Uh, you go from first grade to sixth grade uh, here, at least at my school, and you have the same teacher every single day. She teaches you math. She teaches you English. She teaches you history. And then you go to seventh grade and you have six different teachers. But you get to do this thing called choose an elective. And this is the time where you're like, I get to pick a part of my schedule. This is when I get to decide what I want to do with my life. I can cook for a class. Are you kidding me? I can make Orange Julius and go to school at the same time. That is awesome. Or I can go take an art class and build a little piggy bank and learn how to save money. This is how we become men these days. But I decided to choose a different path because I like power tools. I like saws. I like wood. I like those kinds of things. I like nails and hammers. And so I decided I'm going to take wood shop. I don't even know if they still do that. But that wasn't that long ago. Uh, so I got to be in my wood shop class, and it was a lot of fun, and we were going to use all these cool different things. I learned how to solder. I learned how to do a lot of different things that I don't do now with my life. Um, but I learned how to make a bridge. How many of you guys ever made a bridge before? Exactly. It was a lot of fun. And so our teacher gave us the chance to do that. And uh, we actually made like a mini bridge, so it wasn't a real big one. They would never trust a seventh grader to make a bridge that someone can drive over. Uh, but I started making my bridge and adding new pieces to it, refining it, making it look pretty the way that I thought it should be. At the, at the end of the four weeks, we had to come and take our bridge and put it to the test. And so I grab my bridge and I walk up, man. I'm like, no one remembers the guy who made the Golden Gate Bridge. No one remembers the guy who made the Brooklyn Bridge, but they're going to remember Michael Crow for this bridge. <laughs> They're going to remember what he did. And so I take it, I put it in the clamp, and my, my teacher starts the button that puts it under stress, and instantly it cracks. And I go, oh, my gosh. And then it starts going and going, and it breaks in half. And my teacher looks at me, and he says, Michael, did you do this the right way? And I said, well, I kind of did it my own way. I thought if I put this here, it would look a little better. If I put another piece up here, it would be a little bit stronger. I just felt like this way worked better. And he said, well, that was the wrong way. I gave you guys instructions, clear instructions on how to do this. We literally got a full paper telling us what to do. And all you had to do was put the little pieces of wood on the stencil. It was that simple. Uh, but I thought that if I could change the way, it might make it a little bit stronger. But I was wrong. And I want to take a moment right now to kind of reintroduce myself to you guys. A moment ago, I said I'm the, I serve as the youth or as the family ministries pastor. Uh, but my name is Michael Corral, and I am an imperfect person in progress. By simplicity, that means that I don't have it all figured out. I'm a pastor, but I don't know all the answers. I still have questions that you guys ask. I still am wondering all of these things. And I, I still wonder if sometimes if God hears me. 
I have all these same concerns and all these same things that you guys deal with. And what I've learned through my life is that my way isn't always the right way. And so by the end of this moment, my hope is that you guys would choose to go from your own way to the way of Jesus. And as we say who we are, Jesus does a good job of describing himself and his own life. And he uses this phrase, I am, in some statements. And I am is kind of like a really crazy way of saying only I, or I myself am this way. And so what are some of the things that Jesus describes himself at? We're going to look at the list. Uh, He says that I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. Really weird ways to describe yourself, right? If you walked up to someone and you're like, hey, I'm Michael. And they said, hey, I'm the door. You would be like, what? What are you saying? But there's one in particular that I really like. It's not on here quite yet. And we have a lot of um, teachings on our website about all of these things, if you guys would like to go back and look at them. Uh, But in the season that I am in right now, I'm kind of learning and reminding myself daily that the way of Jesus is the only way that I need to live my life. It doesn't matter what my friends say. It doesn't matter what my boss says. It doesn't matter what my parents say. It doesn't matter what I do. If it's not the Jesus way. And so one of my favorite ones is found in John 14, 6. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for me, that proposes a lot of questions. What is the way? What is the truth? What is this life that Jesus is referring to? So Jesus is about to, uh, he's hanging out with his buddies. This is where a lot of good conversations happen. And he begins to comfort them in this moment. And so John 14 shares a little bit more of the story. It says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the place or the way to the place where I'm going and Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus replies, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So we're going to dive into these three ways that Jesus tells us to live. And the first one is the way. Jesus uses this as a definite article to distinguish himself as the only way. The only way to come to the Father. The only way is a path or a route or how we get somewhere. Think about it. When you type in in Google Maps, how do I get to Chick-fil-A? It tells you the way to go. And Jesus is saying this is the way to the Father. He expresses this and the, the disciples are a little bit confused in this moment because they're like, what's going on? But Jesus over and over has told them what? Follow me. And he shows them the way. I love the reality of this is because the first Christians were so convinced that Jesus was the only way to know God. So much that people would call them followers of the way. It's an awesome thing to be described. It was a lifestyle that they lived. Everyone knew that this was the way of Jesus. 
And people like Paul would travel all across the world sharing this, saying that Jesus is the way to know God, the way to forgiveness, the way to live a life that pleases God. This was the way. And anytime someone might ask the question, something along the lines of, how could I know God? He would point them straight to Jesus and say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice that it doesn't say a type of way or another way or a kind of way. It's the way. It's the only way to do it. There's no other means you can't get to Jesus through your pastor, through your friends. All those things are good. Community is great. All these things are awesome. But the only way you get to the Father is through Jesus. The Bible explains that. And Peter reiterates this later on in his journey in Acts 4.12. He says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under the heaven given among men, which we must be saved. The name of Jesus. The exclusive nature of the only path to salvation is expressed in the words, I am the way. The Bible says in Galatians 2.16, a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by hearing and only seeing and only doing, but really by faith in Jesus. Titus 3.5 says, he saved us not because of righteous things we have done. So it's not because of our works or good deeds or anything like that, but because of his mercy, only him, only he could extend that to us. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works, because if that was the case, all of us would take pride. We'd be boasting. And as we realize this reality, when we come into salvation and we see who Jesus is, we, we realize that the human way is not always a good way. The human way is a path that leads us to a lot of different feelings and a lot of different emotions. I know often when I've chosen to do things my own way, I've only been more confused, more bitter, more angry, more hurt. The Bible tells us that one of the human ways is found in Mark 7. It says, from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And what do they do? They defile a person. These are the ways that we've often chosen to live. Now, I'm not saying you guys walk in this daily. I'm not saying that this is who you are, that this is what defines you. But I'm asking you to examine your way. Apart from Jesus, how do we respond? Apart from Jesus, a lot of time it's selfishness. And all that I know that whenever I've chose to do things my own way, I leave with less peace, with less joy, with less hope. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, that there's a way that seems right to a man. But it ends in the way to death. And the only way to life is through Jesus. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, how do we figure out what that is, right? Well, the Jesus way looks a lot like God the Father. Because he operates in the same way. He operates in the same mindset. He is the same being. He says this um, in John 5, 19. He says, Jesus gave him this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because the father does 
the Son also does. So they operate on the same mindset, do the same things, look the same way. And so they do all these things in such a reality as saying that God, Jesus is the embodiment of all of him, right? In 1 John, we learn the reality of who God is. And God is love, right? And so if God is love, then that means Jesus is love. And if the way of Jesus is love, we have to understand this reality. 1 John 4 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, oh, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And that's the reality we need to lean into. The way that we need to perceive life, the way we need to respond, the way we need to operate, the way that we need to be. And a lot of us know what love is to some degree. Love is romance, right? We see it. We've experienced it. Love is a parent to a child. Love is a lot of different things. But we've also seen love corrupted and love misused and love abused and all these things. So what is love? But the Bible tells us that love is so different. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or resentful. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. This is the way of Jesus. We can't be people who operate in our own way. We can't be people who say, Michael's way is the right way. The only way we can do that is if we know for sure that our way is the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is the way of love. The second aspect is the truth. And truth in its own nature is a weird thing to think of. Uh, truth, by definition, today will be um, truth is what is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and the being of God. To simplify that for you guys, that would be to say truth is the self-expression of God. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. Jesus is claiming to be the embodiment of truth as he says that I am the way, the truth. That means that everything about him, his teachings, his actions, his character, reflects the ultimate reality of God. And in a sense, the life of Jesus is the purest form of truth we'll ever know. And there's a real problem with truth in our world, is that truth has a lot of different definitions. People come to truths in different ways. And we're going to take a look at three of those truths that we see. Uh, the first one that we see is a secular approach, and I'm just going to go through these pretty quickly. Uh, the secular approach is that truth is, a pers is perspective. It's basically saying that my emotions my feelings, my circumstances, my culture, my upbringing, my community, all those things help me define what my truth is. And the problem with that is a lot of things. Is that seasons change, right? Sometimes we're happy. Sometimes we're sad. Sometimes there's hurt in our community. Sometimes there's things going on. And the, pers the perspective of truth will change in those moments. The second aspect is a spiritual approach that says truth is kind of a tradition. And what I mean by that is that there's so many different religions. 
There's so many different people claiming that their truth is the ultimate truth. And what it comes down to is that most people would say all religions are teaching the same thing. They're all teaching the same truths. But we have to ask ourselves that question. Is it true? When we see the midst of that, like there's no truth in that. When you look at the life of Jesus, you know that he's the only God that was raised from the grave. He's the only God who, who could do those things. Everyone else, I'm not quite sure. I'm not, I'm not, it's not that I'm not quite sure, we just know it's not true. The other approach, approach is the scientific approach. It's that truth is all about facts. That if it's verifiable, if it's empirical data, data then it's got to be true. The problem with that to me, and I'm no scientist, I'm not the brightest guy in the world, uh, but I know that all those tests are made by humans. I know that all those tests are made by imperfect people in progress who, to a lot of degrees, just are trying to find ways to disprove things that bring people joy. And I wish I could sit here and go through all of them to the degrees of why I believe, what about what. But there's also another truth that we also live in but are often forgetting, is that there's a scriptural approach. It's the truth that Jesus is truth, and truth is a person. And we have to ask the question of why is truth important? And this is a question that a lot of people have been asking. What is truth? And there's the moment where Jesus is about to go to the cross, and he's basically put on trial. And they're trying to determine if he's going to the cross or how he's going to be punished. And he's sitting there with this man named Pilate. And he has this conversation with him. And this is part of the conversation in John 18. He says, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servant would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And he says, you are a king then, says Pilate. And Jesus answered, he says, you say that I am king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And he asked the question, Pilate asked, what is truth? And with this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Even at the end, the question is asked. But Jesus comes and says, the reason I was born, the reason I came into this world was to testify to the truth. And I know there's a lot of truths out there. And I know maybe you don't believe everything that I have to say or any of those realities, but what I do know is that everything that I tried in my life, that people told me was true, people told me was good, and never brought the thing that I needed, and never brought the thing that I wanted. And I remember in one moment, that was the hardest time of my life. My grandfather passed away, my friend passed away. And I went to a church, and this lady prayed for me. She said, Jesus, give him hope. Jesus, give him peace. Jesus, give him joy. And for the first time in the midst of the hardest moment of my life, I experienced those things. I can't explain it, but all I know is that the name of Jesus, I felt the things that my heart desired. So one thing I know to be true about Jesus and truth 
is that the Bible says in John 8, 32, to all the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In one moment, at the name of Jesus, receiving what he had for me, changed my entire circumstance, gave me the freedom that I needed. And we know that this is a hard thing to do, to totally release our, our whole lives and all these aspects and, and obey only what God says, but there's really simple things that we can do. I'm going to be honest, for most of my life, I'm a pretty practical guy. I think if you, if you want to stop being angry, then you got to just go forgive the person. And I have a hard time with that. I have a hard time with those moments, but I feel like uh, if you want to get to know Jesus, then you got to get really practical. If you want to be a good athlete, what do you do? You train. Get into the gym. You run. You do the things that you're supposed to do. And so I believe that's true for our relationship with Jesus. So how do we get to know truth? We know the person Jesus. We get to know him. Uh, the first way we can do that is to go to him in prayer daily. It's a really simple thing that we can do. The Bible says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is not something to do just to get whatever you want. It's to come to him, to talk to him, to, to invest in relationship with him, to dialect with him, to process your things, to process what's going on in your, your day. Like, God, what do you want from me? God, what do you have for me? God, what, what are you saying? God, what do you believe about my son? What do you believe about my family? What do you want? And this is the moments where we get to just speak with him. And sometimes he doesn't speak back. And you're saying, well, maybe I, maybe I don't hear from God. Sometimes he's already given you the answer. Sometimes he wants you to do the next thing then, and it's to go to his word, to understand it, to, to go to his word daily. And I love what the Bible says about people who go to the word daily. Uh, there's this moment right here found in Acts 17. It says the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They were so eager to know about this Jesus that because of their willingness to see if this was true, they were of more noble character. They grew in faith. And this reality is what we ought to do. But we can't just read the word. We have to obey it. The Bible says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He, loves me. he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. If you want to see Jesus, you've got to obey his word. I don't have to overcomplicate these things, and I don't like to. Because if that doesn't tell you how to see him, I don't know what else will. To listen to his word, to obey his word to speak to him. And with that, the only thing you have to do is to trust him with every detail of your life, which is probably our hardest thing. But the Bible gives us some clarity and tells us to cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. And what I know to be true is that on the other side of trusting his way and seeking his truths is really the life that we all desire. And this is the life that I never thought that I would have, a life that I never understood, a life that I never uh, really knew that I wanted it until I stepped into it. Jesus has been telling his disciples that his death is coming, right? He's sitting there with him explaining to this, and he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to get to the Father is through 
me. And Jesus equals life. What I mean by that is a lot of things. But I want to share another story. Um, pretty much, if you guys don't know about me, my background before being here is I was in missions. And as I came to Central, I'm from San Jose, born and raised. I really felt like God was calling me here. I felt like God, when I first applied to, to work here, I felt like God said, don't apply anywhere else. And so I took that season to just golf until I got hired. And it was really awesome to get hired in the middle of a pandemic because I got hired in October and didn't meet someone until Easter. It was really weird. And my first real meeting was a business meeting. And that's not really like the best way to get introduced to anything. But it was an awesome moment because I got to begin to learn the faces of the people of Central. To hear the stories of lives that have been changed. To hear about all the good things that are happening. And what happened was I started my ministry here. I started developing our youth program. And my real hope within that was that students would know God. That if at the end of the entire time that they spent their high school or middle school times with me, that they just knew that Jesus loved them. That that would be enough. And me being the person who's like, okay, this is what I feel like God has spoken to me. I'm going to go full throttle. And so I would get here around 9 o'clock and I would try to leave a little bit later and I would stay longer. And then all of a sudden, all these things start happening, worship nights. And then we have a, an opportunity to get onto Valley Christian and to Lee and to Branham and to all these schools and the, all these things start building up. And then I decide I want to try something new and let's start a youth program on Sundays because we we're only meeting on Tuesdays. And then uh, we have all these cool opportunities with city team. And so all these things are happening and they're all really good things. And I, I start feeling a lot less like myself. I start feeling like I'm really sick all the time. My head would start becoming really foggy. And I just started walking around like not feeling all that great. But I was doing all these cool things and all these good things for God. And I just didn't feel like myself. And I remember I'm not much of a dreamer. I literally have dreams. Never what it feels like. But one night I have a dream. And in the dream, I walked straight to Tim's office. And I just said, hey, Tim, I think I need a day off. And I woke up and I was like, okay. I drive to work, I come to the office and put my backpack on and I walk to my office and I sit down and pull out my computer. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden I start feeling really anxious. And I have like a panic attack and I'm like, what's going on? And so I run over to Tim's office. I say, hey Tim, can I talk to you for a second? He's like, sure man, what's going on? And I shut the door and I was just like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I start crying. I was like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what is happening. And he starts talking to me and asking me questions and we had a really good conversation. And he encourages me to go and take a couple days just to be with Jesus. And most of the time when God speaks to me, I like to go off into nature. And so I was driving, I was like, I'm gonna go to Santa Cruz, it's the closest beach. And my whole way I'm sobbing, crying, unsure of what's going on in my life 
I'm like, what the heck is happening? And I get to the beach and I get a cup of coffee and I'm sitting there and I'm like, God, what is happening? And he said, Michael, you forgot all about me. You were doing all these good things. You were helping students. You were attending worship nights and you were doing all these good things, but you forgot all about me. And I say that to say that this isn't just a message for the non-believer. This is a message for you, the believer, that apart, anything in your life apart from Jesus, it doesn't even matter. You can do a lot of good things. You can do a lot of great things for your family. You can take them to the next game. You can, you can invest in, in, in people. You can do all these things. But if Jesus isn't the center of your life, none of it matters. Why do I say that? Because even in the good things, it doesn't make sense. Even in the good things we break down, even in the good things, stress, work, pressure makes us crack. Even when we think it looks beautiful, even when we think we're doing the right thing, even when we think our way is the right way. And I say that to say that Jesus asked us not to do things the normal way. The way of the world is that if you work a lot, you make more money, it's a good thing. The more hours you invest in your community and serving and volunteering and doing all those things, it's a really good thing. If you, if you love your kids so much and you do anything for them, that's a really good thing. But when we idle volunteering, when we idle our kids, when we idle our spouses and Jesus isn't the center of it, it's like we didn't do it at all. Apart from love, apart from the Jesus way, apart from Jesus' truth, apart from a life with Jesus, life is really hard. And I'm learning that every day. The Bible tells us not to conform to the pattern of this world. And the reality of that is that we need to renew our minds to the truth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, His way, and that's when we understand his perfect will, his good, pleasing will. You see, Jesus came to give us life after death, that's true. But he also came to give us an abundant life right here, right now. The reality of that is that if we don't, then the devil knows how we operate that. We're work-driven, or family-driven, or this-driven, and he'll use all those things to try to separate us from Jesus. The Bible says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus, God, came that we may have life and have it to the full. That is the abundant life. And following Jesus means embracing his values, embracing his priorities, his attitudes. It means living in intimacy with him and surrendering to his will. And I'll tell you right now that on the other side of your way is a life of peace. The Bible says that I have said these things that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. On the other side of your way is a life of joy. The Bible says that you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is a fullness of joy. At your right hand pleasures forevermore. On the other side of your way is a life of hope. 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And I'll tell you what, on the other side of your way is a life of a God who's so good. Life with him is so good. It's a life of goodness. The Bible says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And his mercies endure forever. That life is life with Jesus. And Jesus gives us a way to find life that's extremely opposite to the way of the world. And it requires us to give up our way and go after the way of Jesus. And I want to give you guys an opportunity to do that. I know there's probably some people in the room who've never given their life to Jesus, and maybe they're just checking this out. For those of you who have given your life to Jesus, maybe it's a time to just sit in this moment and say, man, which things in my life have I prioritized above God so much that it's kept me from him? The Bible says this is the greatest love story ever. For those of you who maybe have never said it, the Bible kind of shortens it in this way. In John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So in just a few moments, I'm going to give you a chance to do that, to give your life to him. And I say that I've tried my own way, and it never worked out. I tried my own way, and I always felt less like myself. The Bible tells us that the way of the human leads to death. It means internal separation from God. And if you're tired of doing things your own way, if you're saying, I want that peace, I want that joy, I want that hope, I want that love, then we want to give you an opportunity to respond to it. Uh, if everyone can do me a favor and bow their heads and close their eyes, we're going to give people an opportunity. And this is, my ask is that if you've already done this before, is that This is not your moment. This is the moment for people who maybe never made that claim, never accepted Jesus into their life. For those of you who have, we'll have another moment for you. And so if that's you, if you're saying, man, I want to know this love, I want to encounter this joy, I want to know this peace, I want this freedom, I want salvation. If that's you, would you do me a favor and raise your hand? Awesome. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and we believe in faith that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, then we are saved. And so I want to pray for you. And maybe you can pray something that sounds like this if that's you raising your hand. Jesus, I thank you so much for who you are. 